The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is my prayer today that the title of this message will be What Happens, that God is the God of all comfort, and in my prayer today is that you would be comforted. We begin a new expositional series in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a missional instruction uh, to the church at Corinth. The first letter had to do with a lot of rebukes and a lot of instruction on how they were to shape and form as a church. Now Paul moves to a more missional instruction, how they are to engage in the mission of God. Part of the letter has to do with a defense of his ministry and the message which he preached because false teachers had infiltrated the church at Corinth and taught things contrary and questioned Paul. But one of the real underlying tones of 2 Corinthians really overt, is Paul's desire to encourage this church. And oh, how we all desperately need encouragement today. So that is my prayer for us as we approach 2 Corinthians. Let me read for you verses 1 through 11 as we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf. For the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, we come now as we take up your word, specifically, Lord, as we take up 2 Corinthians in this text today. We ask that what is taught here would be experienced by every heart listening. That we would receive the comfort that is from you. That you would comfort us in the midst of this shared affliction that you would comfort us in the individual affliction, and Lord, that you would prepare to comfort us for the affliction that is yet to come. Minister your word to our hearts and to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the main idea today, that God, who is the source of all comfort, 
mercifully and abundantly comforts his people in their affliction through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts with his standard greeting. He identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So he's writing along with, in conjunction with Timothy, whom he has sent to Corinth, and we'll say more about him later in the letter. To the church of God that is at Corinth, so he's specifically addressing this church that he's already written a letter to, actually two letters to. One is not recorded for us in the Bible. It's lost. But he writes to this church, and then he applies it to all of the saints in the southern part of Greece, Achaia. He says, grace which is only from God, undeserved and unmerited, and peace only through Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross on our behalf from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, immediately following the greeting, what you see is a deep pastoral concern that Paul has for the church at Corinth. What he acknowledges is his suffering and their sufferings. What he is acknowledging is a shared struggle that they have, and he offers a simple, straightforward explanation of how shared encouragement is from the Lord. This is a quote. Suffering can actually drive us to God, into deeper community with others who suffer, and even to a celebration of God's encouragement, a type of encouragement only experienced fully in the crucible of affliction. Two major points today, and then we'll draw several points of application. First, God is the source of all comfort. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. What what Paul is going to express here elicits praise in him. It causes him to praise God from the onset of that which he's going to teach. Blessed be God. It's an expression of thanksgiving, of what he has received from the Lord. And just the acknowledgement of what we will receive and what we have received should cause us to praise God. So brothers and sisters, regardless of how you feel this morning, don't let how you feel dictate what you do in response to this text. We should all, as followers of Christ, say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Before Paul shares how we can encourage one another, he begins here with the source of comfort, the Father of mercies or the Father of compassion. That means that God looks at our pitiful situation And he has moved with compassion toward us. It's not because we've earned anything from him. It is not because we deserve anything from him. It is because of the very nature of who God is. That he is the father of mercy. And this merciful God is moved toward his hurting children. Just as you as a parent, those of you that are, are moved toward your children in the moment of need. He is the Father of mercies and the God of, and I would underline this in my Bible, all comfort. That means he is the source of emboldening our faith. 
He is the source of lifting our spirit. He is the source of our encouragement. The word comfort and encouragement and, and, and are two ways to translate this Greek word. In Psalm 131, if you turn there with me, the psalmist says, David, O Lord, my heart is now lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a winged child with its mother, like a winged child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The illustration of children and father or children and parent is used repeatedly in Scripture. That we, as followers of Christ, God is our Father. We have been adopted into His family through the blood of Christ. We are His children. And He alone can calm our souls. He alone can quiet our souls. Last night was nerve-wracking. I was doing my final preparations. I was on the very last portion of the so what, and my phone started going, what, what, what? Tornado warning. Now, my children are all older now, uh, but there was a sense, even with older children, of comfort. And I know those of you with little kids in your home, younger children, that they rushed to your bed. And wherever it was that if you had to take cover last night, your kids found comfort in you. Here's the difference. You had no control over those storms. None. But the Father whom is the God of all mercies and comfort, has control over every storm. And he is the one who comforts us. Listen, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the suffering. And that's what we need to get our minds around today. Because there's this idea, it's really more American than it is Christian, that we as Christians never suffer is we as Christians never have a hard and difficult time. All we got to do is speak a word and it goes away. That's just not true. What we do, brothers and sisters, is we find our comfort in the source of all comfort. Now Paul proceeds, he says, basically this, that God mercifully and abundantly comforts his people in their affliction through the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been asking people what I often ask and what you often ask. How are you? To which I'm still getting the same response. Well, we're, we're fine. I'm fine. And I just pause. Just stare. Because here's what I know. I'll just be honest. I'm not fine. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I'm depressed. That I need to be committed or anything. Folks, how can you be fine right now? How can you honestly look another person in the eye and say, I'm fine? 
Now, some of you are going to write me letters and say, I am fine, Pastor. I think some of us have such a need to let everybody else know we've got it together that we can't be honest with ourselves. A moment like this creates all kinds of things in our minds and hearts. Let me just say it this way then. I'm not totally okay. Now, if Paul intended that every Christian say, I'm fine, he wouldn't have needed to write what he wrote here. He could have just said, all of you need to be fine. No, here's the, here's the underlying tone of this. Everybody's not fine. We need comfort. So let's just all admit it this morning. We need comfort. So where does it come from? It's merciful comfort through Christ. So it's God who is the source, God, the Father of mercy, is the source of all comfort, comforts us in, I'd underline this again, all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, I'd underline that too, affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now the word affliction, it's very important you understand it, is both outward and inward. In other words, some kind of trouble that is inflicted on you that is beyond your control. There's nothing that you can do about it. Some kind of oppression, tribulation, pandemic. So this is inflicted on you. Then the, the other meaning of infliction is, is affliction is inward. The distress, the trouble, the worry, the concern that is going on inside of you. So it's what's outside and what's inside. He comforts us in all our affliction. Now, what does this mean? It means he gives us spiritual comfort. It comes through the comforter. That's the, the, the name given to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He comforts us. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, when I started as pastor, I was almost 33. This is the main question I got in concern of becoming a lead pastor, is that I didn't have enough life experience to relate to and care for people in their moment of need. Let me just say, in the first two years of being the lead pastor, I've got plenty of life experience, but that's another matter. While I was getting those life experiences, the school of pastoral ministry, God was able to use a kid to comfort others. Why? Because I'm not the source of comfort. Neither are you. Neither is your unique experience in life the source of comfort. God is the source. God is the one who has comforted you in all affliction, whatever that is, so that you, through Christ, can comfort others in any affliction. They're not saying, I'm not saying at all, that God does not use our particular afflictions to comfort others in similar circumstances. But what I am saying is that God's comfort does not end on the person who receives comfort. It goes through us. Now, how is this? With the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, 
in, in, a, in, a, in a true sense, this is subjective. This is something that we know and experience in our heart and in our mind. This is a spiritual truth, an emotional truth, but it is based on a sound theological truth. So let's turn to Romans 5 and look at what he says here in this great truth of our salvation. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through the cross and the resurrection, we have peace with God. Here's the thing that ought to make you the most uncomfortable today. This uncomfortableness has to happen for every one of us to come to Christ. We must be uncomfortable in the fact that we are sinful and that we are separated from God. The first and foremost comfort we need is to understand that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, and this is tied to our salvation, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now this God who is the source is pouring out into his children right now pouring into our hearts the love of God, the comfort of God. And brothers and sisters, this is something that we share. We, we, Bonhoeffer wrote this, we have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another. That means because I'm in Christ and you are in Christ, we are connected to each other and what I am receiving, you are receiving. And that we are sharing that with each other and we will do so for all of eternity. And we will do so abundantly. This abundant comfort through Christ for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now don't go American on me in the next five minutes. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now this is very particular here. This is suffering for the sake of Christ. Because we are identified with Christ, there is particular suffering that comes into our lives. Now for Paul, that means, he lists this later in 2 Corinthians. I'll just mention a few. He suffered hunger, exposure, beatings, imprisonment, perils by sea and land. He was robbed. He was beaten and arrested by Jews and heathen alike. His life was a continued death. He died daily. He writes in chapter 4, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we, he doesn't say I, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So, so all who are in Christ, all who are Christian, are followers of Christ. We all take up our cross and follow him. We all identify with Christ, and as a result, we suffer with Christ. So, through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. 
So we are Christians. We are in Christ. So Christ suffered and clearly told us that in him we would experience suffering. So the depth of the comfort that we receive, understand the equation here, the depth of the, com- depth of the comfort we receive is directly related to the depth of the suffering. Now I have to ask a very pointed question here that I've been asking to myself all week. Could it be that we have so pursued the comfort of this world and so so deeply that we have avoided our direct association with Christ for the sake of our safety and comfort, which is false comfort, by the way. Are we avoiding suffering for the sake of Christ? So I'm going to press it to the current situation. Are we not meeting right now because it's the right thing to do for the sake of others? Or are we not meeting because we don't want to appear foolish and get in trouble with the government? Now, when I, when I read this text, here, here's what I'm seeing. We desperately need each other. Desperately. Part of the means of how God comforts is through each other. So we comfort is through Christ to one another. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which we experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul and this team of missionaries that he traveled with suffered for the sake of the comfort and salvation of the Corinthians and all whom they sought to proclaim the gospel to and establish the church among. So this comfort and suffering go hand in hand. So we are in Christ, so we suffer together. And for him, we are comforted. And these things don't necessarily happen at the same time, but they happen for him through one another. So quote, one human being cannot effect divine deliverance from troubles for another, but it is possible to share with another sufferer the encouragement received in the midst of one's own trouble. Verse seven, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in literally the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. What an odd thing to say. We know that you will share in the suffering of Christ and in the comfort of Christ. That just doesn't calculate in the modern mind. But what you've got to see, brothers and sisters, when you meditate on this text, is that this is a great statement of faith. Paul is saying to these unstable Corinthians, who he had to write a scathing letter to, here's what he's saying to them. You are in Christ. And you will continue in him because Christ will not leave you to yourself. He will finish what he began. He writes it this way to the Philippian church, which, by the way, was a suffering church. Paul's preparing the Corinthians for it. The Philippians were suffering. And Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So let's just, let's just put it together here while we're scattered out all over the place, unable to get together. 
For all who are in Christ, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For those of you who send your kids off to college or they leave your home, here's what you can be confident of. If they are in Christ, he will carry it to completion. Now, beginning in verse 8, Paul brings application to what he's saying. So I'm going to ask three questions and seek to apply these things. Are we relying on God or on ourselves during times of affliction? For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So it means Paul does not tell us what experience this is. There's been a lot of hypothesis on what experience this was. Whatever it was, Paul thought he was gone. Whatever happened that he's referring to in Asia, he thought he was a dead man. He said, indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death, but he's still alive. So what's his conclusion as to why he went through such a horrible experience? The answer's in the verse. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul speaking this monumental experience that he thought was the end of his life, he says that the experience was used of the Lord to make him rely on God who raises the dead. That means, Paul said, this life's not all of it. This life's not everything. That I give myself for the sake of Christ and I trust if I die in doing it, it is God who raises the dead. So I'll ask you a very direct question. Has this strange course of events resulted in you relying on God or have you gone deeper into yourself? First Peter chapter five. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is one moment in our history when all Christians around the world are suffering the same thing, just along with all of humanity. He says, after you've suffered a little while, while the grace... While the God of all grace who has called you into an eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It means we humble ourselves and we rely on God. Second question. Are we trusting God for deliverance from affliction? Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now, brothers and sisters, I think it is a foolish thing. It borders on, if not tempting God, if we filled up this room and said, God's going to deliver us, none of us are going to get sick. It's just not true. That's not what this verse means. This verse means this. You press on for the sake of the gospel, and ultimately God's going to deliver you from death. 1 Corinthians 15. He gets the final say over the whole thing. His deliverance is he raises us from the dead. So here are some questions I'm asking myself in light of studying this text today. Number one, how long do we put the work of the gospel on hold? 
Number two, are we going to wait for a cure before we move back toward people? Number three, can we attempt to be as safe as possible and press on with the work of the gospel? Number four, do we believe God will deliver us? First Timothy four, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe our hope, our anchor is in the living God who gets the final say over sickness and COVID and death. That's where our hope is. Third and final question. Are we giving ourselves to the necessity of prayer? This sermon's going a little longer than we have, but, but I want to press something. I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself this week to spend at least... 25% of the time that you would spend on some kind of device in prayer. That device is not comforting you. Only God can. Verse 11. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So prayer is not a surrender to the inevitability of God's will, nor is it an attempt to manipulate God to do our will. Prayer is entrance at God's invitation into effecting a deliverance and salvation of the world. This is real participation in God's will. And it's beyond human reason, but God calls us to it. In Romans 15, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to call you to pray. You say, I don't know what to pray for. Come on. Pray for your family. Pray for your growth group and people that you're associated with in the life of the church. If you don't know what's going on with them, Take a time today and contact them and talk to them. Pray for the work and ministry of the local church. Pray for the workers around the world. Pray for his church here. Pray for those in government. Brothers and sisters, if you've ever understood how important it is to pray for those in authority, pray for them. Here's what I'm doing. Tomorrow I'm giving myself to a day of prayer. If you don't know anything else to pray tomorrow, will you just pray for me to stay on task, to stay focused? I'll, I'll, be, I'll be dealing with what I'll be preaching over the next several weeks. I'll be praying through our steps forward of how we are proactive and safe and continue to be flexible. And I'm going to be praying through how we are missional, how we, how we are gospel people. Will you join me in praying and giving yourself to prayer as much as possible in the days to come, but tomorrow in particular? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the encouragement of it, and the challenge that it has been to my own soul this week to work through this text. 
Lord, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we don't fully grasp what Paul's saying here is because we aren't living in such a way that brings this kind of suffering. It's not that we are trying to run into harm's way. That's not my prayer, Lord. My prayers will be your people. Lord, there's nothing we can go back to really in history with a modern world and address this, but here's what I understand. As I look back to your church in famine and disease and death, your church ran headlong into it with the gospel. So I'm asking for courage. Courage for us to get our wits about us and rightly and lovingly as possible to be your people. So guide us, we pray. Wake us up. Give us a sober spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.